Well, we've been talking about the time between times. Um, last week, we just talked a lot about the fact that the time between times, and that time between times, just to reiterate again, is that when God tells us stuff, there are times when God tells us things, whether it's through the Word, whether it's through a rhema word, which means it's specifically for us, he speaks to our heart, he, he leads us in a certain way. Someone else may say something that, uh, that God has placed on their heart and we hear it and just our spirit bears witness with that word and it, and it affects us and it changes us and we, we begin to hope for something. It could be a promise, it could be a fulfillment of a problem, a situation that you're going through, whatever it might be, it might be an illness. And we know that the Bible says that God uh, heals, of, heals us of our diseases. So there's, there's all kinds of things in the Word and in our lives that God um, gives us answers for. But that there's always a time from when He says He's going to do something and when He actually does it. And I call it the time between times. Um, other than all of the, the usual Sunday school answers, and I... We call them the Sunday school answers because anytime you ask kids in Sunday school, uh, what is the answer to this problem? Their answers are, you ever, you ever watch a Wheel of Fortune? You watch Wheel of Fortune and there's always the, uh, what, are the what are the consonants? R-S-T-L-N-E. Well, then E is the vowel that everybody picks. Okay, so we're just going to get rid of those answers real quick. Same thing in the Sunday school answers. What is the answer to this problem? Jesus, the Bible prayer, okay, those are all the Sunday school answers, okay? That is always the answer, isn't it? Jesus is always the answer. The Word is always the answer. Bible is always, you know, the, uh, prayer is always the answer. Those are, are the guiding force principles in the world. Above and beyond those, not that it makes those less important or less significant, but above and beyond that, this one principle seems to me as one of the, the single most, the, the strongest guiding principles in my walk with God for the last 40 years. That's a pretty powerful statement. I mean, that's a pretty major statement. But I've had a lot of track record where God says something or he leads me in a certain way or he promises something and I begin to believe that promise and there's always a period of time where I have to wait and walk it out. And also on the other side of it, there's always the fulfillment of that promise. There hasn't been one promise that God said he will do that he hasn't done in my life. Or, let me qualify that, is doing. That I see the evidence of it still happening, still working out in my life. There are things that he's promised me that I haven't seen yet, but that's one of those things that keeps me going. There was a period of time years ago when, when I was in a meeting and, a, and a, a man prophesied over me and he said some things that just really sparked in me. It was like, wow, that's God. I, okay, I'm going to believe that God. I'm going I'm to set this out here and it's, it's, it's something that I believe you're saying to me and I'm going to put my hope in you and then what, what that word was and then you work it out. And I walked through a period of time and it was fulfilled. It actually happened. And when it actually happened, though, my first thought was, oh my gosh, is that it? Was that the last time? Was that the, was that the last word you know, that God is ever going to say to me? Because it had been fulfilled. Now, now what do I have to believe for? The Bible kind of speaks to that. It says, hope that has been received is no hope at all. Because you have it. You don't, it's not faith. At that point, you have what was promised. So immediately I started yearning for something more to believe in. Weird, huh? I have to admit... Another one of the thoughts that crossed my mind is, am I going to die now? Because it's already been fulfilled, everything that had been said. And then God obviously then showed me something else. So kind of put the, almost like, the, no, I won't say it. It's kind of like a carrot, you know, in front of the horse, you know. Keeps us moving forward. Huh. I've often asked God, why do you tell us stuff ahead of time? Don't tell me. It drives me nuts. Because the time between time, time is actually very frustrating. And we'll talk about the frustrating part today. And I've said many times, God, why do you even tell me this stuff? I don't really, just, just make it happen. I don't, don't tell me, but why do you tell us this? What, God, why do you show us ahead of time? And I think it's to keep us moving forward. Otherwise, we'd sit. We're human beings. We like to sit. 
Our family's going on vacation this week, and I plan on doing a whole lot of sitting and relaxing. I'm not a gotta-do-something-every-moment kind of vacationer. I'm a, I don't have anywhere to go, any place to do, anything to do. I'm going to just sit here and relax because the rest of my life is going and moving and fulfilling. So, time between times is something that's highly, greatly affected our, my life and my family's life throughout my whole walk with God. And so that's why, the, and I believe it's also a part, a period of time that deals, that each one of us deals with, every believer, every person deals with. So, last week we talked about the time between times obviously has a, a part in it that is a period of time. And last week we said that that period of time can be anything from an hour to 120 plus years, 400 years, 600 years. The Bible has all these examples of how long people had to wait for the fulfillment of what God said he was going to do. But it always includes time. Duh. It's in the title. Time between times. Duh. Just, just see, it's summer. I can see people are a little slow, a little, little relaxed. You're saying, hey, I could just sit. Oh, here, I got an hour and a half here. We could just sit. Don't have to do anything. No, I'm going to keep you involved. All right. But there is another part. There's a bunch of parts to this we'll talk about through the summer. Here's another part. There is always a test. In the time between times, there is always a test. There's always an opportunity during this time to believe or doubt that which God has said is true. Every major figure in the Bible experienced this test. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, children of Israel, the prophets, David, even Jesus had opportunity to doubt God's Word. Otherwise, it's not living by faith. If you don't have an opportunity to doubt it, then it's not a test. It's not, a, it's not an opportunity to live by faith. It says, God says in, this, in the Word, that my righteous one will live by faith. Now, he was talking about us, but he was primarily talking about Jesus. You ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus had to walk by faith? Interesting, huh? Some have, some haven't, some are nodding, some are staring blankly. It's, they're sitting and resting. And, hallelujah, Jesus had to walk by faith. How do we know that? Well, we'll give some examples here. But obviously he did. He did everything we have to do. He walked through life the same way we did. We do. He did. He experienced everything, so that means he had to walk by faith, otherwise it wasn't fair. If it was absolutely plain to him and there was no doubt whatsoever, no opportunity for doubt, then he didn't walk the same walk we are and, and succeed. He had to walk by faith. No one is exempt. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Begin with verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for, him and among, looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I have to be, uh, be in my father's house? Another, another version of it says, Be about my father's business. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Jerusalem with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was 12 years old. He's in the temple. He's asking questions. He's there for a reason, though. He's there for a purpose. And that purpose is to be about his father's business. 
He's 12 years old. Do you know any other 12-year-olds that are that focused on fulfilling their life goal? I don't. I have two about that age. They have goals, but it's not that kind of a goal yet. Believe in it is. I believe it will be. Some parents are making funny faces. It's the time between times. Exactly. Exactly. But Jesus knew who he was. He knew who he was. That has always begged a question. How did he know who he was? How did Jesus know who he was? Did he have some kind of special knowledge? Does, did, he, did his memories go all the way back to heaven? Being in heaven and then being born as a child and remembered everything? That just was weird to me. I don't even want to think about that one. He has the same memory. He remembered God the Father. He remembered heaven. He remembered all the things. And he has all those memories all the way through. So when he hits 12 years old, he knows everything. He understands everything. He understands who God is. He understands who he is. There's no doubt in his mind, and he's moving forward. I want to pose this answer. No, he didn't. He didn't have any special knowledge. Now, one thing that he had that none of us had and none of our children have or none of our children ever will have was a sin-free nature. A sinless nature. Jesus did have a sinless nature. He, was, he did not have the sin nature in him. He was all God and all man. But I believe to be able to walk by faith in this life and to, and to show us how to walk by faith, he didn't have any other extra ordinary benefit. He had to walk by faith. So I heard somebody say it when I said it. How did he know who he was? From the scripture. He knew it from the scripture. He read the scripture. In the Jewish household, they read scripture. That's what they did. That was how they, they taught their children. They read the Torah, they read the scriptures, and they discussed it. And he read, as they read the scriptures year after year after year, as he was growing up, he heard the stories. When they'd go through the, the different festivals, the festivals were very important. The festivals told the history of the Jewish people, and they also, each one of them, foretold the Messiah. The festival of booths. The festival of booths, they would set up these tents, these temporary dwellings, and they would put light in these temporary dwellings. And they would talk about how that the Messiah, when he came, would be in a temporary dwelling, but he would be the light of the world. The booth looked a lot like a stable or a manger. The light of the world. Remember when, when Mary saw the angels and they said, you know, and the, and the, the, the uh, shepherds came and says, glory of God, to God in the highest, you know, peace to all men. He'll be a light unto the nations. He'll be all these things. They said that about him. He read the scriptures that said he, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Huh. I was born in Bethlehem. The Bible said, or the, the scripture said, that he would be born of a virgin. Huh. They tell me that my mom was a virgin when, when I was born. They'd be the, of the house of David. We're of the house of David. He'd read these scriptures and read the scriptures and read the scriptures. And in the scriptures, there's actually a scripture in, in Psalms that says he, that, that uh, he would recognize himself in the word. He recognized himself. He saw himself and went, that's who I am. Well, if that's who I am, then this is what I should be doing. Stop. Think about this. Take, take Jesus out of the picture. How do we know who we are? We're supposed to get it from the scriptures. We're supposed to read the scripture and go, huh, that's talking about me. Huh, that's talking about me. Huh, I recognize that. I'm of that bloodline now. Because I'm a believer, I'm of that bloodline. This is who my family is. This is who my father is. This is how I should live my life. Huh. He grew the same way we are supposed to grow in the scripture, knowing what the scripture says, recognizing us our, ourselves in the scripture, and then acting upon it. That's what he was doing at 12 years old, was he was acting upon it. Now he was 12 years old, and it wasn't time. 
wasn't time yet. There is timing. Jesus was subject to timing. It wasn't time yet for him to do this. But he was ready. At 12, he's ready. But then it says that he then what? He did what? He went with his parents. He was obedient to them, verse 51. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. In verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He had more to learn. He had more room to grow. Even God in the flesh had more room to grow. He grew in wisdom and stature. He grew up. Another version says he grew in favor with God and man. He lived his life. He made choices. He did the right thing. He was obedient through his life. Now, we're going to remember that word obedient. It's really big. It's huge. It's absolutely vital in this time between times. Obedience is the key. Obedience is the key to passing successfully. If you're not obedient, you fail. You are obedient during this time, you pass. And I think it was probably the first time I ever heard it, probably wasn't the first person who ever said it, but Joyce Meyer said one time, as you're going around the mountain, learn the lesson well. Because if you don't learn the lesson the first few times around the mountain, guess what you're going to be doing for a while? Going around the mountain. Oh, didn't learn it yet, let's go around a few more times. Still haven't learned it, thick-headed person. Round the round a couple more times. Learn your lesson. Be obedient. So he was obedient to them. He knew who he was. He knew why he was on the earth. He was ready to father, follow his father wherever he led, but it wasn't time. He needed to wait. And this time wasn't waste. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, the question is, how did he grow? Was it only knowledge? We've already answered that. No, it wasn't just knowledge. He gained knowledge. We must gain knowledge. Why do we say be in the Word? Why do we have a daily Bible reading for the church? Why do we encourage you to be a part of Bible studies, small groups? Why do we encourage you to be uh, uh, coming to Bible school on Wednesday nights during the winter? Why do we do all of those things? It's not because you know, we have nothing else to do and we're just looking, you know, looking to show that we're really important around here. We need to give you guys some stuff to do. No, because it's the word that's going to give you the knowledge to grow. If you don't know the word, you don't know what he wants you to do. Well, but yeah, okay, well, I'll ask Pastor John or I'll ask Pastor Greg. Do you have the answer for everybody else's life? Do you have the answer for your life? Yeah, well, you do. He's moving. He's going forward on it. But we don't have the answer for you. We can tell you what we know. I can preach a sermon and you're sitting there going, wow, this is really touching me because this is what I'm dealing with right now. Hey, that's the Holy Ghost. But if you're not getting it the other six days of the week, then you're going to be hungry. God wants to speak to you way more than one day a week. He wants you to, to be gaining that knowledge, gaining wisdom every day of the week. It seems like he already knew his Torah, the, the word that, that he was learning, because he was talking to the Pharisees and he was learning, or he was asking them questions and he was talking to them, and they were amazed at his, at his wisdom. They were going, this kid's only 12 years old. My goodness. This guy's smart. Where did he get all this knowledge? He already knew his theology. What could he learn by waiting? Well, here's the deal. The Bible's silent about these years. I don't know about you. Back in the 70s, I saw this documentary that talked about the hidden years of Jesus. Did anybody else ever see that? It's hilarious. It's also a lie. It's dumb, stupid, foolish. It shows Jesus at the age of 13 bringing a bird back to life that had fallen out of a tree. You know, Jesus did not go around healing birds. His first miracle did not happen until after he was baptized in the River Jordan. He didn't go around playing tag on the lake. No. He learned, the Bible says, obedience this way. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning with verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. 
son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. <laughs> Why? Why does God put stuff like this in the Bible? I thought Christianity was a happy religion. I thought Christianity was supposed to be all fun and smiles and giggles and just, ah, everything is perfect now that I'm a Christian. All my cares have been rolled away. You know, all the songs. All my cares have been rolled away. Yeah, wrong. Uh, you guys have been Christians for a while. Are all your cares rolled away yet? 21st century American Christianity has bought a bill of goods. Christianity does not guarantee ease of life. Having a relationship with God does not guarantee that everything's going to work out fine and you're never going to have another trouble and nothing's ever going to, you'll never suffer again. How do I know that? Let's look at history. The Jews have been walking with God for about 40 or 5,500 years or better. Is their life easy? Why would Christians think that, oh, well, we have a, we have a special exemption from that. Everything's going to be easy from here on out. It's going to be simple. There's going to be no stress, no problem, no worry. No. Jesus even learned obedience, learned how he grew up. He, he learned all the things he learned through what he suffered. During the time between times, there are a number of things that happen. One of them is there's a period of time. Sometimes a short period of time, sometimes a long period of time. But the other thing that happens is you're going to have opportunity to suffer. Oh, great. That's what we need. The feel-good sermon of the summer right here. You know what? It's just better if we just be honest with ourselves, say what it is, and then hit it headlong and take it for what it is and move forward because it is what it is. Christianity is an opportunity to grow through suffering. Now before I completely depress you, there's also all kinds of other promises that say that you are more than conquerors. That through the struggle, he's there with you. He's walking beside you. He's encouraging you. He's giving everything you need to make it through, to succeed, to, 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 uh, to win, to vanquish, to come out the other side a victor, to grow. He is there. Everything that, I, that's, that he has is mine. Everything, everything that's mine is his. We're going through this together. We are co-heirs. We're co-workers. Co, uh, we're co-laborers. We're, go, we're co-warriors in this fight. We're not doing it alone. But I guarantee you that you're going to go through some struggles in your life. And it's usually between when God says he's going to do something and when he actually does it. And you're going to have every opportunity. And those, those struggles aren't usually easy ones. The sad thing is, a lot of people don't make it through. They quit. They stop. They pull up short. Do you know that's the only way we can lose? The only way we lose is if we stop. If you keep moving forward by faith and you keep following him and you keep doing I don't get this, it doesn't make any sense, I'm really tired of it. You don't have to like the struggle. Most of, I've never liked the struggle. I'll be honest. I've never really thought, yes, I get to bang my head against the wall one more day today. Let's go here. Come on, bring it on. I don't like it. You don't like it. We don't have to like it. But we have to keep moving forward. Because if you quit moving forward, you lose. It's your only hope. Why? Because he's moving forward. Because he's going there. He's, he's leading, and we have to follow him. And if we don't go where he follows, what does that leave us with? Nothing. We're by ourselves. He doesn't leave us, we stop. 
There's going to be time and there's going to be a struggle. You might be saying, we don't want to hear this. This is not a faith statement. We don't have to live this way in the 21st century America, do we? <gasps> it's supposed to be easy. That's what's wrong with our church, with the, the church in America, the 21st century church. We have bought the package that once I give my life to Jesus, I'm in the club and exempt from pain and inconvenience from this day forth. And then when pain and inconvenience comes, we become disillusioned and angry. Why has God failed me? We had a deal. Our problem is we neglected to read the large red print. It's not even the small print. It's not even the fine print. It's the large red print where he gave us all the details. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. This is talking about one of the greatest uh, warriors, one of the greatest writers, one of the greatest apostles that this world has ever known wrote two-thirds of the, of the New Testament, Paul. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tars, from Tarsus named Saul. He, he, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my, <clears throat> is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings, and to the people of Israel. Man, that's a great call, isn't it? This is my man who is called to go before kings, to go before rulers, to go before all Gentiles, and to preach the gospel. How many want that call? Chickens. (laughs) Why? Because you just read the next verse, didn't you? Exactly. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Why does he put stuff like this in here? Awesome, amazing call. Going into all the world, preaching gospel. He's going to stand before kings. He did stand before kings. But he also suffered for it, didn't he? He suffered in the midst of it. He also spent some time in jail. A lot of time in jail. He got killed a few times. That just sounds weird to say, doesn't it? But he was stoned at least once, if not twice, and they left him for dead. I think it doesn't even say three times. I think it was, there was a few times he was stoned, he, not stoned, like here stoned, then stoned. I can't even say it without having to qualify it. I don't know what's wrong with this world. What's wrong with me? That's the problem, is it's my head. And they left him dead. They said, he's dead. They had stoned a whole bunch of people back then. They knew what it looked like for a person to get stoned to death. They left him for dead. Wow. What a great call. I want that call. I'm kidding. Just kidding. I don't, really. But I do. Don't You know, it's that confliction, isn't it? I want to do amazing things with God. I want to go where he wants to go. But it seems like wherever he goes, stuff happens, good and bad. Amazing and really scary. But Paul also was in a ship one night during a storm and everything was looking like the ship was going down. The ship did go down. And it says that God stood beside him and says, don't fear. Because you're here, everybody's going to get saved. Everybody's going to live because of you. That's pretty cool. I don't know about you guys, that's pretty cool. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Jesus didn't sell us a bill of goods. We've bought a bill of goods goods from somebody else. He said, if you want to be my disciple, then you're going to die. 
you're going to take up your cross and follow me. The cross is, a, is an implement of death, an implement of suffering. What dies on there? Sometimes it's the flesh. There are times that there are people who have died for their faith, literally, physically died. Most of the time, for most of us, though, it's our will, our pride, our will, our desires die on that cross. And that seems to be worse because we have to keep living and dying. The Bible says we're a living sacrifice. Just in case we are not convinced yet, Matthew, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14, verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If we don't allow God to deal with our flesh, that's the next part of this. Every one of these time between times, there's time. Secondly, there's a test and a trial. That test and a trial, though, isn't just to fill the time. That test and the trial has a purpose, and that purpose is to cause you to grow up, to cause me to grow up. What grows us up faster than anything? Killing the flesh, killing our will, killing our pride, killing I have this thing under control, and I have it, I am covered, I am in control, and I will say what happens around here. And it's during the time between times that God shows you who you are, he, he exposes who you are. He allows you to see it, to be just absolutely mortified by what you see. And then he gives you opportunity to allow it to die. And it's painful. I am not going to kid you, it is painful. When that part of your life, when a part of your life that is like that has to die because that thing does not want to die and it puts up a fight. When your pride raises itself up and says, absolutely not, I deserve to live this way. I deserve to have this attitude. I deserve to be treated this way. I deserve it. And, if, and everybody else is wrong. It is an ugly thing. Every time God shows me that, every time I go through one of these situations and, and, that, and that time and that tr test and that trial works on my pride and works on my my. Uh, uh, self-worth and my, my, you know, whatever it is, it's ugly. I'm really, no, let me say this different, I used to be a lot uglier than I am today. Because <laughs> God's dealt with me on a bunch of stuff. You should have seen me 25 years ago. I was not necessarily a nice person. I mean, now people kind of actually like me every once in a while. <laughs> You're different. Husbands, are your wives different than they were 25 years ago? Don't answer that out loud, please. <laughs> but if they're allowing God to deal with them, if they're allowing God to work in their life, they've changed. Wives, are your house... Uh, can't even say it. Are your husbands different? They should be. If you're not, it's because you're being resistant to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Even Jesus had to go through a time of testing and suffering before he received what was promised. Matthew 4, verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I read this a number of years ago in light of the question did Jesus have a special knowledge who he was? Did Jesus have some kind of insight, inside insight that we don't have about who he was, about life, about heaven, everything else? Did he have? And right that, when I read this in that context, my answer became, no, he did not. Because if he did have special knowledge somehow or special insight, then this would not have been a temptation. It says he was tempted of the devil. He was tempted. What does tempted mean? tempted, if you go all the way back to the very first temptation, the temptation in the garden, it was not, eat this, eat this apple, Eve, here, here, Eve, eat this apple. 
The temptation was not the apple or the fruit or whatever it was. The temptation was, did God really say? Did God really mean? Did, did God really, I mean, God doesn't want you to eat this because he knows that when you do this, you'll be like him. The first temptation was, is God really good? It's not a temptation unless it's a real temptation. It says he was tempted of the devil. How did the devil tempt him? If you're the son of God. If. If is a huge word. If is a huge wedge in the whatever's trying to be broken apart. If you're the son of God. If you don't do it, then you must not be the son of God. Jesus, I believe, at that moment had, had opportunity to doubt whether he was who he believed he was. Just like every one of you has opportunity to believe that when you're going through whatever struggle you're going through, whenever you're in that time between times, whenever you're dealing with whatever God has promised you and believing it or not believing it, and the Satan comes to you and says, did God really say he'd pull through for you on this one? Did God really say he'd meet your needs? Did, did God really say he'd heal all of your diseases? I don't know. When that temptation comes, it is a battlefield. And on that battlefield, he takes no prisoners. He's not doing it to just mess with you. He's doing it, with, he's doing it to destroy you. And if you allow that thought to be entertained, did God really say he would take care of me? Did God really say he'd provide for me? Did God really say that he loved me? Because I'm not seeing a whole lot of evidence here. Did God really say? If we entertain that thought, if we allow that thought to take root, it will destroy you. Verse 6 of that same chapter, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift, up, lift you up in their hands, for they will not so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That was the temptations at the beginning of His ministry. It didn't stop. Do you know that the, some of the last things said to Him were temptations to give up? Matthew 27, verse 39, Jesus is on the cross Matthew 27, 39, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. If. Now, I don't know how your mind works, but in my mind, that, what that sounds like is, if you don't come down, then you're admitting you're not the Son of God. Because God's not able. Within those verses, within that story of the crucifixion and the obedience, the, the obedience of Christ even unto death is one of the key things we need to know going through the time between times. Not everything that seems to be happening is what's really happening. Let me say that again. Because it's vital. You have to understand this. If we don't understand this, we will be bounced around by every wind, by every wave, by every tremor of the earth. In the time between times, everything that seems to be happening is not what is necessarily really happening. Let me give you an example. Can God heal every time? He can. The man born blind, when they asked him, who sinned? Did his parents sin or did he sin? And Jesus said, neither. Because to them, that was the only two answers. Either he sinned or his parents sinned. Which one was it? We, we don't understand because in their theology, in their understanding, in their human uh, finite understanding and concept of who God was, the, the reason people suffer is because they sin. 
And they said, which one sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus said, neither one. The reason he's blind is so that the glory of God could be shown through him. Stop. Put yourself in that story. Why are you going through what you're going through right now? Is it because you sinned or your parents sinned? Or your spouse? We could throw that one in there too for everybody who's wondering. You know, it may not be any of those answers. It may be you're going through what you're going through right now, this, this momentary suffering. I could show you all those scriptures too. Paul says, this momentary suffering is worth anything. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll suffer any of this stuff to receive the glory of heaven. What you're going through right now may have nothing to do with what you understand, what you think is happening right now. It may have everything to do with God showing his glory through you, ultimately. And so to go through whatever you're going through, it could be lack. It could be an attack against your finances, an attack against your provisions, an attack against your business, or whatever it is. You're going, you, some people think, well, God must be mad at me, or I must be doing something wrong, and he's not protecting me. And so, so God, you know, there's some reason, this is why this is happening. It may have nothing to do with that. My guess is it has everything to do with God wants you to get into a place where you depend on nothing but him. How can I be so sure of that? He has done that to me so many times. He's done that to me. I could give you case after case, situation after situation, where I had lack, and I didn't have provision, and I'm believing God for provision, and I have to wait for a period of time, and it seems like way longer than I think I should have to wait. And it always comes down to him going, do you trust me or don't you? Do you believe me or don't you? Healing's the same way. Protection is the same way. I don't get it. Why am I struggling with this right now? Why am I going through this? Because God wants to work something in you bigger than a buck and a half. Bigger than a healing from that, whatever it is. It's bigger than this. And when you throw yourself completely in his trust, it's in those times where he can cause you to grow way faster, way bigger. You'll come out the other side going, I understand God better now. And that's what it's all about. You will have opportunities to doubt. We too will have opportunities to get off the cross. In the midst of all this, you can stop anytime you want. You have a free will. You can say, you know what, God, skip it, I'm done. I don't trust you anymore. I don't believe you anymore. I'm out. I'm good. Or you remove yourself to a place of where you feel more safe. I am tired of this attack. I'm tired of what's going on right now. I don't have the strength. God, I can't do this anymore. I quit. And I'm going to go over to here where, okay, I believe you for salvation and that's it. You can do that. You literally can do that. I've, I've done it. I've told God, stop. I can't take anymore. I'm removing myself from this test. I'm coming over here. But when you do that, you stop growing. Which, you know, at the time, things sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You know what? I'm just going to hang out here. But in the grand scope of eternity, you're stunting who you are. If we stop, if we get off, if we quit, we remove ourselves from God's timeline and process. Can I have five more minutes? I know it's summer, I know, but if I don't say this in context of everything else I've said today, it's going to be a waste of time. Next week, I promise I'll go ten minutes short, okay? In his book, Maximum Faith, George Barna outlines the ten stages people must go through to have a deep, meaningful relationship with God. He outlines ten what he calls stops. The stops are, stop one is unaware of sin. People, when they start out, I mean, everybody's going through this. 
Doesn't matter who you are, what country you're from, what color your skin is, where you were born, when you were born, doesn't matter. Every one of us go through these sections, these parts of our life. Stop one, which he calls a stop, is the unaware of sin. You don't know anything. Either you're you know, a child and you've never heard anything about God, or you're an adult and you've never heard anything about God. That's possible. I meet some people like that every once in a while. Stop two is indifferent to sin, which means that you have, uh, you've heard about sin, you understand about God a little bit, but you don't care. I don't care. I don't care what if there's a God. So uh, uh, unaware of sin or, or a, ch- a choosing to be a winner of sin is an atheist. Indifferent to sin is just a person. Stop three, worried about sin. Ooh, this is a problem. I can see it's a problem. I need to do something about it in my life. Step four, stop four, forgiven for sin. Going, ah, I need Jesus. I need to get saved. I'm saved. I don't know anything else, but I'm saved. Stop five, forgiven and active. That's where 99.9% of the church is that are born again. They're forgiven and they're active. Hey, I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm going to Bible studies, I'm growing. You notice that there's 10 stops and we're only at number five so far? There's a lot more growth beyond just going to church, being active, going to Bible studies, being a servant in here, going on a mission trip. Hey, I I'm, I'm, I'm have faith, I'm believing, I, I'm forgiven, and I am active. Stop six, holy discontent. Holy discontent, Pat. Holy discontent is, there's got to be something more than this. There's something more than just being saved, going to church, living the rest of my life. Anybody ever felt that? Good. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're liars. It's good to be discontent. It's good to go, there's more to this. There's more to, there's more to God. There's more to this walk with God. There's, I want more. I don't know what it is. But I want more. It's when you reach that point of going, you know what, God? There's got to be more. If there's more, let me know what it is. I'm in. You have no idea what you're saying. (laughs) Because what he found out, and which I fully agree with, and the more I study it, the more I'm, yes. The next stop is broken by God. Stop seven, broken by God, is this time between times. It's the time between times when God tells you he's going to do something and then he exposes who you are as you go through the process. He shows you who you are. He shows you what you're relying upon. You're relying upon the bank. You're relying upon uh, your uncle. You're relying upon the medicine. You're relying, you know, do we not go to the bank? Of course, we, we do stuff. We, we, gotta, we, we do, we work, and we, we, but we don't rely on it. We rely upon our paycheck. We rely upon all these things instead of relying upon God. And he shows us that. And we go through this whole uh, turmoil in our life, this whole wrestling match with, well, yeah, but we live in a world and he's given me a brain and and we wrestle and we wrestle and God keeps showing us, it's not enough, it's not enough. What if he tells you to do something you don't, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Go and do this, go there, spend this, give away that, whatever it is. It's in those moments you find out where your, where your uh, trust is. If he says, keep working in that job, yeah, but this job stinks. But God tells you to keep doing it. Keep serving there, keep honoring. And you're going, but this doesn't make any sense. And all of a sudden, flesh rises up. Stop eight is surrender and submission. All right, God, (laughs) I get it. I don't have anything in me. I can't do this. God, you do it in me. You want me to do this, I'll do it. If you want me to go there, I'll go there. If you want me to give that, I'll give that. If you want whatever, God, you lead, I follow. Here we go. When you step over into that, the next thing that happens is stop number nine, which is a profound Love of God. God, you're so good. I didn't realize how good you were. If you hadn't gone through that process and died to yourself, died to your will, you would have never understood God at the level that he's going to show you after you be obedient to him. 
Why are people absolutely miserable? It's because they allow their pride to rule and they will not submit to God where he leads them to go and do. Pure and simple. I could, every case you show me, I'll show you that that's the case. It's the way it is. It's truth. Stop 10 is a profound love of people. We'll talk about that someday. We don't need to talk about it today. This process is at work in all people. If we want to have a deep and meaningful walk with God, then we must proceed through all of the stops. Step 7 is a scary stop. Barna describes stop 7 as a prolonged period of time of in-your-face confrontation which brings the person to coming to the end of self as the go-to person in all situations. You finally realize you don't have it, you never will, and you give up. But getting there is a horrible, painful process. The time between times is designed by God to break us of our self-reliance and cause us to run to God as our source and hope. The time between times is a time of brokenness. We will talk about that a bunch. I will give you story after story after story from the Bible of men and women who have had to walk through this. Any great man and woman of God went through this period of time. Because they were full of themselves going in, and God had to get it out of them. And you know it, I'm not saying anything new, you're full of yourself. How do I know you're full of yourself? Because I'm full of myself most, most of the time. And I need to stop it. And I need to grow up. And God deals with me on a regular basis. And how does he deal with us? He puts us in a time between times. He says, here's where you're supposed to go, here's how you're going to do it, follow me. And we're just smart enough to follow. And then we start getting beat up. Stuff starts happening, attacks, you follow God, you finally follow God and I did what he told me to do and why am I getting attacked? Did I miss God? Did I not hear him? Did God really say? Interesting, huh? Let's say it. Father, we put all this in your hands. Lord, you know we need help. We know we need help. Lead us. Father, we trust you. Help us to trust you really. To really trust you. And to really follow. And to really allow you to break the pride, to break the selfishness, to break all that crud out of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for anything,